Welcome to the Email Social Club Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Lizzie. Uh, on this episode, we are interviewing Adam Siska. AKA. Of the Academy is, AKA. Siski Business. Hell yeah. You can find him on Twitter, at Siski Business. Um, the interview's awesome. He is so cool. We go into a lot of different topics, and it's really long, as you'll probably see from the total time of you this probably episode. hit play and then went what the fuck are you <laughs> yeah. kidding me Uh-oh. again uh we yes again a lot of topics and uh all of it's really good i think it's a really good discussion good conversation so listen till the end there's a lot of good shit in there um if you are in chicago this is coming out on march 1st and tonight i will have a dj set at subterranean for emo night la Woo-hoo. and i am so stoked uh, mostly because I don't get to DJ a lot and because uh, my friend Chelsea is the person who does the Chicago version of Emo Night LA here and she's awesome and she is gracious enough to let me be a part of it and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it will for that like two hours hopefully that I could swing by after I shoot a show. Yeah. That'd be great. Also I will be uh, putting out a video on hopefully Monday one of Terry Hemmert, one of the most legendary, arguably, DJs here in the city of Chicago at 93XRT. Um, basically, it's for a school project, but I want to make it really, really cool. <laughs> so we'll have links for that uh, later on in the week. And then we, I am also going to have a mini news preview of Weekend Run Club as well on the topic of touring while being in school. <laughs> So if you're in school and ever wondered what the fuck are people doing while they're actually doing the same thing I'm doing and dying and crying and touring, you'll find out. (laughs) Sick. Without further ado, here's our interview with Adam Siska of The Academy Is. I was just thinking about how when I when I played with taking that chemo and the bass was in drop D. Yeah, it's really threw you off. Um, what I think was the funniest thing about that, for me personally, was after like that alt press article came out, uh, that I was like, you know, the last few bands that Adam Siska's played with were Fall Out Boy and fucking me. Yeah, <laughs> and the same song too. Yeah, the same yeah, fucking yeah. song. So I was like, ooh, that's actually... It was nice. It actually kind of got me, like, not that that song needs a whole lot of, like, refreshing on, but uh, it was nice, like, doing those two things back-to-back within, like, a few days of each other was actually, like, kind of captured the spirit of the whole experience that I had with those guys. Yeah. And, like, getting to see a band cover them and cover The Academy Is and all that, like, that. I thought that was, like, I mean, I had a really great time, so... Uh, thanks for inviting me out for that. You're welcome. And I promise you it will never happen again <laughs> <laughs> because I broke it up. Well, there is a, uh, we've, there's been, I don't know if this is going to go in the edit, but we'll, Stop. Uh, I can talk about whatever I want. Off, the, off the record. This is off the record, but it's also it's on, the on the record because I'm not editing this. I'm not editing <laughs> the stream. So like whatever. Um, they announced like the new members that are taking over as taking back emo. 
really? there's like a new group of guys that'll be doing all the songs. Cool. Um, they're booked at a few places. Are they looking for stuff. a bass player? Or what? Uh, no, they have that. <laughs> um, also, no, don't. <laughs> don't, don't do that. that. Um, no, they they did like a, a quick video and people kind of like freaked out that there was this whole new band and they're like, wait, you just replaced all the members and kept the name? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I thought you would just like change the name if you were going to change all it's the like members. Like Leonard and they're Skinner like, or Why? Or Empire. <laughs> oh my God. Like, yeah. Not, not too many dudes left. <laughs> it was very like, I mean, I... I don't think that's how I would do it, but I also am the one that left the band, so it's not my decision, and I yeah. wish them well. I wish everybody well for doing the project. It's and what comes with ending a band, you know? Yeah, it's exactly. Like, it was a little weird for me, like, when the Academy is was ending, like, William kept going, you know? Like, yeah. he kept playing our songs, he played them with other people, and, like, I was a little salty about it, and then at huh. a certain point, I was just kind of like, oh, well... He like has a daughter and like whatever he needs to do to like make sure that she has like food in the fridge. Yeah. I don't care about like <laughs> that's really all that matters, you know. Like so like I don't care if I I mean if he wanted me to play bass, he could have called. <laughs> you know, it's all good. If you need me, I'm <laughs> if right you need here. me, the original person in your band. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Peter says I actually listened to the Academy Is. I liked it a lot. So. Your old nice. band has a new fan. <laughs> awesome, man. Love it. <laughs> Always making new fans. That's what it's all about. Uh, cool. And I'm just here for some spicy takes while I attempt to re-drunk my chicken. He was cooking his chicken with beer yesterday. Oh. And he was like, I'm sober. My chicken is drunk. So, you know. Okay. Beer chicken is like my favorite. That's the good stuff. Do you have a, do you have a recipe for your favorite beer can <laughs> chicken? Uh, I do, actually. Uh, I am not good at making it, though. My, uh, <laughs> my stepfather is very good at it. Yeah. yeah and... Uh, it's tough. I, I quit drinking two years ago, so I'd have to have somebody drink the beer or, yeah. or like a mug root beer chicken. <laughs> <laughs> mug root beer. Yeah. Um, I, I guess we'll just start to start talking about just general shit yeah. and just like kind of yeah. get into whatever comes up. Uh, you and I met and this is, oh, you know what? You know what, Lizzie? You want to talk shit about Apple products? Uh, Shut up. We met because I worked at the Apple store in Deer Park. And him and his... Uh, overbearing mother. Yeah, your overbearing mother was <laughs> like, um, oh, you play music? My son's in a band. Have you heard of the Academy Is? And I'm just like in the back of the store, just like, uh, what? Yeah, I have. Excuse me, ma'am. So we like yes. talked for like, what, 30, 45 minutes and yeah. just like chat about stuff. And then like, uh, we did the DJ night for Halloween uh, in 2017, I think. Whatever that was. It wasn't last year. Years go by fast, Years go by. <laughs> fucking yeah. Um, I think it was 17. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then yeah. Uh, here we are. Just, uh, you know, buds. Love it. Yeah, man. It's awesome. Out. And I remembered you right away when you mentioned that, too. Because like, I was like, I look completely different. He's not no, going to know I, who the fuck I, I am. I remember the embarrassment I felt. Because my mom, <laughs> my mom would definitely do stuff like that a lot. And, like, inherently I didn't like it. But then I would always end up talking to people, which I do like to do. Like, mm-hmm. I've always been kind of an open book when it comes to, like... I mean, especially when it comes to the music stuff. Like, people coming up and saying, I like your band. I've never been a person who's like responded to that with like cool now go away you know, like, <laughs> I don't I, think you can I, it's like I don't know I mean I, I remember going to see bands that I liked growing up and if, if like if like Rivers or, or Billy Corgan or somebody had like stopped to talk to me it would have yeah. like it would have helped me a lot in my years of pain and personal anguish <laughs> yeah. I was going through. True. I just, I just don't think Billy Corgan would really want to talk to anyone. Well, <laughs> not. He was nice to me later on. Yeah. Okay, that's good. But you know, I actually really like that guy, despite what anyone says about him. Mm. But like, uh, 
I understand that he's also kind of a raging prick, too, yeah. so it's all good. But, like, I don't know, man. It's when it comes to, like, being one of my, I think, looking back on it now, especially, like, looking at being in a band, like, the thing I miss the most is being able to have an impact on people and to, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, be nice to somebody outside of my bus, you know? Like, that was really, like, the really the best part mm. of that entire like decade of my life was being able to like meet a kid and like surprise him by being friendly <laughs> you know like, like it's that's true though cool. like now i mean you know th- 10 years removed from the band it's like it's weird if i'm talking to some kid outside <laughs> of a bus you know so it's, all it's like who is this man <laughs> yeah because yeah, now like i don't know if you get more recognized from like outside of shows than you would from like inside of a show like because are you are you well now that you're on tour with Carly Rae Jepsen for viewers, just in case you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, he was there when she got her legendary sword yeah. at Lollapalooza. <laughs> I've been there now for six years. Yeah. So, so, I mean, now you're getting recognized for, like, that, but are sort you... Sort of. I'm actually not really recognized for that. I would say that <laughs> at the Carly shows, I'm really pleased with the amount of people do come out to say hi to me that mm. are either new fans of Academy, like... Our new fan that we've made here. What's his name again? Peter. Peter. <laughs> hey, Peter. And uh, I, uh, it, which is always cool. There's people that come up at the Carly shows and say, you know, I, I checked out your band. It's a shame you guys broke up. I would have loved to have seen it. Yeah. And uh, that's always cool. But then there's also like, I'll be playing shows with Carly and I'll look out and I'll recognize fans from from hmm. that era. And you know, uh, that's always a really cool thing. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah. So I, I mean, I felt really creepy, but there was also like Tim McIlrath from Rise Against, yeah. And then I don't know his name, but he's like the bassist of Anthrax, lives in that area too. And so like they would come in, and people would always be like, "Hey, that's the bassist from Anthrax." Oh, really? and I'm like, "Hey, I don't know one song by Anthrax <laughs> except for that Public Enemy song." The, butcher, the, the drummer from Academy. Mm-hmm. When we were in, like the whole time we were in the band, he had a he had this girlfriend who he met on. Warped Tour 2006 and she was Kevin Lyman's yoga instructor. Wow, <laughs> that's... <laughs> and she was really hot and like old. But oh. our, we were like 20. Yeah. He, he was probably like 22 or 23. His mm. girlfriend was like pushing 40. And <laughs> oh. like definitely that babe. And, I mean, uh, live your life. <laughs> and she had been previously married to Scott Ian, the... I don't. I think he was the singer of Anthrax. Yeah, he he he's is in, the singer. He's in the damn things. Yeah, he is. The, he is the singer of Anthrax. And he had been married to that chick, the older chick that Butcher dated for years, and like, damn, Butcher like lived in like a house that was like paid for by Anthrax. <laughs> <What>? That's wild. <laughs> oh, just have like that flex on. Just imagine having that flex. Just yeah. like you go to an Anthrax show and you see him and you're like, you don't fucking know this, but I'm living in your house. Yeah. Like, it was funny when, when Troman started playing in the damn things with him. It was like, oh, yeah, small world, you know. But I'm, now I'm sharing everybody else's personal information. <laughs> yeah. Well, even like I used to work at the Pete's Coffee out in Naperville. And when I covered the one in Downers Grove, they'd be like, oh, yeah, some of the guys from Rise Against just casually come in here and hang out. Yeah. And I was like. I used to see Tim at Woodfield Mall with yep. pushing a baby stroller. That kid's probably like a teenager now. Yes. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, I did make. I did make a salted caramel soy mocha for Tim Higginson when I worked at the Starbucks in Oakbrook Mall. Tom. Tom Higginson. Tom, yeah. I'm getting mixed up. I st- but I made it and I was freaking out the entire it time. Like, it took me five seconds to think of who that was. It wasn't even like a real like immediate We're reaction. We're saying Tim too I much and I was like, oh, another T. Oh. 
<laughs> it was Tom Higginson. I was freaking out, and my shift supervisor wouldn't let me freak out about it. She was like, "Just make the goddamn like, soy salted caramel mocha they with would, whip." Like, they would give me time to like talk to people. Like every time uh, Tim McKellar would come in, they'd be like, "Do you want to help him?" I'm like, "Yes, I do <laughs> for sure." That so guy's very like, nice too. He's super <laughs> nice, yeah, and nice. he he felt a little bit more like. Like, I don't really want to be recognized. I'm just trying to do my thing. And he had his daughter with him. So I was like, I don't want to be creepy. I'm just like, I'm going to help you. Like, I'm a, I'm a fan. But, like, yeah, we'll just, like, get through this. And I'm just standing there just like. <laughs> and that was back when I was, like, doing original music stuff, too. So it's like you always have that thing in the back of your head where I'm like, do I hand him a mixtape? I don't have a mixtape. <laughs> do I tell him check out my band on MySpace? Do I make a mixtape? I remember seeing Matt Skiba at Woodfield Mall and just, like. Oh, my God. Crying. Yeah. You know, like, it was, like. <laughs> Like uh, Bill Beckett and I, like we're just like eating at Sabaro Pizza at the mall, <laughs> and we saw Matt Skiba walking by with a skateboard, and we like just shit ourselves. <laughs> You'd be and like, then, "Fuck this Sabaros, Matt <laughs> Skiba's over there." Nah, I love Sabaros. Uh, yeah, Sabaros is so good. I fuck with that garlic bread they have, yeah, real hard. Really, baby. Oh, <laughs> it's like when I'm at Woodfield, I'm like, "Is this what I want?" This is what it I is want. what you it's, want. It's what I go there for. They have a whole new fucking food court in there now. I know. Really? I went. Yeah. They have a whole ass organic like fat like fast food thing yeah. there. It is. They massive. have a stand during like the height of Academy's popularity. I would come home from tour and be really lonely because it was like it was a kind of a roller coaster of like being on the road and like talking mm-hmm. to that kid outside the bus and like getting to have that and then coming back and like being eighteen in the suburbs yeah. and like. Having my mom pissed and telling me to clean my room, and like <laughs> it was a weird thing. And like I would just get in the car, and like I was just learning how to drive still, and like would just drive to Woodfield Mall and like and do nothing. That's I wouldn't buy anything. Yeah. I'd just walk around. That that's just the suburb- spot. And that's like suburbia one hundred and one. And like, and it was cool because like kids would know who I was, which was a weird, shocking thing. Especially if I'd go with Bill Beckett, like mm-hmm. girls would go wild. Of course. And like, it was cool. It was a weird. That was a very interesting time in my life. And, like, Woodfield Mall was always, like, the place I could go to, like, feel like a normal kid. You know? <laughs> it was fun. It was... Because I, I think I'm probably, like, a couple years younger than you. How old are you? I'm 32. I'm 31, man. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow, you're still my old, decrepit man. Uh, <laughs> fucking... Fucking shit. Yeah, man. I got started early. Anyway. I got started yeah, really early. Yeah. Well... <laughs> Anyway, so I started hanging out at Woodfield because I'm like, this is where all of the local suburb emo kids go to stunt. Yeah. And then I was like, I'm going to stunt on them so hard, I'm going to get a job at Hot Topic. Stop. And then I started working at the Hot Topic there, and I was like, shit. (laughs) I made the mistake of getting a, a retail job at the place where I hang out, hating it. And then just meeting like a bunch of like emo scene kids that then would like, oh, you want to go to the show? And I'm like, yeah. And then I was like, go to the shows all the time. I remember meeting. Patrick Stump at Sam Goody. Holy he shit! There, mm. at uh, not Woodfield, at uh, Old Orchard, I think it was somewhere out north out there. Yeah, that's that's Skokie. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. sounds about right. Orchard, but inside, so I don't know. My memory's a little hazy on it, but I met him there, and uh, like, I just remember as the band was coming up, like, thinking about the fact that like. I mean, a lot of people called our band and our genre like mall music. Mm-hmm. And like, I think at the time I felt offended by that. But now <laughs> looking back on it and like meeting like Patrick at the mall and like going to like Hot Topic and with those guys or my band and everything, like, it really was kind of like the 
this, I mean, Woodfield Mall is like a oasis of like culture in an area that is not cultured. And yeah. Like, and There's nothing in there. like the post mall rats <laughs> world, that. like yeah. it was a cool place to go. Yeah, like, it was the coolest place that I knew. <laughs> you know, like it, the city doesn't really have that now that I'm an adult. I mean, I guess it does, and it's like certain hangouts, yeah. Parsons or something, and I don't go yeah. there. You know, so I remember like, like I would always yeah. want to come to the city and hang yeah. out at like Belmont and Clark, where all like the thrift stores were, yeah. and that was like where all the hipster kids were hanging out. So I'd always be like, "Ma'am, can you drive me to the city to go and hang out at the at the alley and the Whoa. what was the other one that like four story like army surplus store?" Right. Why are you looking at me asking? Yeah, I, I, I was like eight you know. year, eight nine I'm years Belmont. old. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I uh, the Fall Out Boys were like the first guys that I knew that. Like had any access to the city? Is that, you know, like, do you refer to them as the Fallout Boys? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's where that's now? real dad rock of you right I now. Do, yeah, I, I do refer to them as, that, as a collective, and like those were the first guys I ever knew that like had a, had cars or apartments. Mm. Like, like looking back on it, they were like total dorks that live with their parents. But like for me, when I was fifteen, it was like you guys are like grown ups. You yeah, know? like they they had an apartment in Roscoe Village, and like. Oh, like yeah. they had parties and like it was amazing to be invited to parties with people in their 20s you know and like and the picking up cafe was like their hangout yep. every night and like i would go there and it was just like i felt like i had entered like greenwich village in like 1961 you know or something like that like Damn. it felt like i was somewhere really cool even though like i was hanging out with a bunch of guys that live in their parents houses yeah but like they're you know like yeah. vegan yeah, treats yeah but it was uh chicago's great it was that was a uh, great time period. Black Rose season says, yeah, they had an apartment with some dude living in the closet. Yeah, John Regan. <laughs> we know oh, who this man makes his name in the is closet. now. Troman lived in the closet for a while too. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um, did they rotate? It sounds like they did. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I'm glad they each you know gave each other a turn. I don't think Troman paid, paid rent there. I think he was still like living at home and just kind of crashed. crashed there. But uh, it was crazy. They had like root beer keggers and stuff like that. <laughs> Was, wow, they were love still that. very much like a straight edge hardcore band and uh at that point in time and yeah i remember like getting grounded for like disappearing to the city for, <laughs> for a period of time and like looking back on it i'm sure my mother was like now she's really glad that i was doing that you know like just based on the experiences that followed but yeah but it, it was a little bit of a crazy moment in that whole time period like the punk rock scene was it was not the emo scene that it became. It was not necessarily like a safe space. Like mm. I was hanging out a lot in like Roselle under this overpass with like people that were doing cocaine and like, <laughs> like and then also straight edge people, you know, like there was like a weird hangout yeah, of like friends, anyone just... that was kind of a punk was there. Yeah. You know, it was one guy's really... just more awake than everybody else. Yeah. yeah one dude is just, as, yeah. One dude's like super hyped and like yeah. ready to like beat up a wall when you're like, okay, well, let's not do that. My well, guy. I was glad that I was on like the side of the tracks that had like the straight edge kids and like mm -hmm. for a lot of high school kids, that's when people started kind of going off the rails, like partying. I do think music was one of the things and those guys in particular kind of like, were really good influence on me in a lot of ways, you know. So mm -hmm. music kind of was like my boys and girls club. Of like, yeah. Like uh, men, those guys like mentored me and like I got really into like putting X's on my hands. And, you know, like, <laughs> even though like I definitely like didn't even know where to begin looking for drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew that I wouldn't if I could. No, that That's a mood. Uh, yeah. I find it so interesting though is that at least when I was in high school like seven years ago, yeah, seven, seven, Jesus eight. Jesus Christ. 
sorry you're old. Everything you but, say is attacking. <laughs> <laughs> even when I was in high school, it, straight edge, I'd be like, yeah, I'm straight edge. And they'd be like, I don't know what that is. Here's a beard. I'm like, that's just a not, that's, that's just not that's in exactly my guy. the opposite. And then <laughs> now I see so many more straight edge kids coming out of the woodwork. And I'm like, where the, where the fuck were you? Where were you guys? Where were you when I needed you? Yeah. I was, uh, this is a weird, it's a weird sentence to say. I was uh, one of three straight edge kids in my college fraternity. You were in a fraternity? Yeah, like it's just a weird fucking sentence. Why are you in a fraternity? I don't know. What really not, compelled you to do this? Uh, a group of friends, basically. I went to college and knew one other person and then just met like a bunch of other people that were all into the same stuff. Like uh, me and a couple other guys drove to see um, Alcoin Trio and Rise Against at the Congress one year. Like we went to Taste of Chaos with like Thrice and Deftones, like with another group. Like, it was just like a bunch of kids that were just like, oh, let's just get together and do this. And then you like read all the fraternity shit and you're like, yeah, it wasn't like that. Like for me, like we were the weird kids who just like, we had a rule against playing Magic the Gathering in our lounge areas because That's we were like, a good rule. usually we were trying to play like Super Smash Brothers in the lounge. <laughs> so it's like you're interrupting like our time for You're Smash interrupting Brothers. a significantly more superior game. Yeah, Thank I'm trying you. to set up my GameCube out here. Like, please move your cards off the table. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Lately, I've been like, um, it's been just about two years since I've had alcohol, and like, I've reconnected with the part of me that really enjoyed not straight edge culture, but mm-hmm. like, I'm kind of like a Puritan when it comes to alcohol <laughs> now, and like, I try not to be preachy, just like I didn't like people that were preachy back then, but mm-hmm. like, uh, I'm starting to enjoy <laughs> the music that I liked then all over again like there's I'm finding I like heavier music and like not necessarily hardcore but like like I've found really into like Strike Anywhere again mm-hmm. and like Fucked Up and those like mm-hmm. I've been like the part of me that like doesn't like to drink alcohol and identify with Straight Edge I'm actually like finding that in music again a little bit more of like a political undertones and like mm-hmm. Boy Sets Fire was like my favorite band when I was like 15 oh, yeah. and it was like a very like the, the singer was like a gay straight edge guy and it was like really oh, that's like cool. politically charged and like um, I was very like I mean when I was 15 like right when the band started I um, my father passed away from doing drugs and like mm. I it was like a brutal thing to go through so I was like very very opinionated about not doing drugs mm. and I remember going to the apartment that William and Mike from Academy were living in and a cloud of weed smoke came out and I remember like wanting to quit the band immediately wow. and then like by the end of that summer I was really stoned and eating Hot Pockets but, that, <laughs> but for there was a good moment that I was like very very adamant about not drinking or taking any sort of drug damn but yeah not anymore <laughs> well, h- yeah. Well, how do you feel though about how even modern bands now like either they're punk or emo or whatever we want to classify it as mm. how either apolitical or political that they are in their music now comparatively I, I mean these days like i like to get my politics from books not even not even the news you know like i like to like i was saying i think before we were on like i like to study things that like happened 15 years ago and no no sooner you know like <laughs> um i like to let things kind of gestate because you can kind of look at them a little more like clearly you know you can see the result of what happened like the war in iraq is like just now becoming something we can really look at and understand like what happened you know and with as far as politics go like 
I mean, it's just got to be good, you know. Like, like Strike Anywhere was like a really political band, but I don't even know that that's what I liked about them. I just liked the way that they sounded, mm. and uh, I don't really think I cared for like overtly political punk. Like, I don't. To be honest with you, I never really liked American punk music very much. Mm. Like, I didn't grow up on Rancid or uh, any of those bands. I got into them later on, but I really like the British punk and like. That stuff got political at times, but it also, like, like Mick Jones and The Clash, like, wrote songs about girls, you know? Like, mm. and that's what I always liked, was just, like, songs about girls. Still to this day, that's, like, what I want to listen to. Mm. And I like political music, but not when it's, like... I mean, I worked a show in Vermont selling merch. I used to work at a venue up there, and I sold merch for Billy Bragg, who's, like, yeah. considered, like, a... like a great political writer and like to be honest with you I thought it sucked and like I met him and spoke to him afterwards and he was a total jerk <laughs> and like you can go on there and like talk about like working for the man or whatever but like I don't know man <laughs> like it's sometimes <laughs> contrived yeah. so for me it's just like I don't know I like the way like I like Fall Out Boy better now than I did like back then even like wow. songs about girls man this <laughs> <laughs> like it. hits you it hits you differently <laughs> like I think that um what was really what's really interesting to me looking back at like the music movements like when political movements were happening this is based on like something we talked a couple episodes ago um gerard way uh was saying that he doesn't think my chemical romance was necessary after obama was elected it just wasn't like the same mood in the country anymore yeah. and he was writing really depressing music about life and and love and and all this stuff and then it's like well we don't need that anymore that's not what the music needs to be and i think about how like fall out boy and panic and and all these bands like grew so big at the same time uh hawthorne heights being on trl and shit and it's like but why do we need hawthorne heights right now because I didn't need Hawthorne Heights at the time, and I still don't think I do. But <laughs> you, you uh, be quiet. <laughs> don't. Need them. Um, yeah. But I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I kind of see the same thing where it's like, yeah, it just it it died out after 2008 when people tended to feel more like, oh, things are happening that I wanted to happen. I don't feel the same sort of like anger and disillusionment that I did when this music was getting really big, and then all the music kind of changed, uh, and I don't I think. I didn't really listen to a ton of Academias after 2008. It was mostly like Santi. I don't and, think we uh, made anything after 2008. Yeah, it was like, uh, <laughs> it was like. That's a great time to stop listening. Yeah, exactly. Actually, yeah, because I remember um, uh, Barrington High was. Yeah. That was the. Yeah, I didn't really like that record. Oh, well. Yeah. I, then I'll um, say whatever I want to say about yeah. it. So cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different can of worms. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, the, the interesting thing with Academy was like when we started. Our second practice, I think we ever had, we were like kind of just writing our first songs, the ones that we would have been playing at like Knights of Columbus. And mm -hmm. like we put on like, we had like a demo that we put out mm -hmm. in 2003. And like when we were writing those songs, like there was like a, an old TV on in the background and it was on mute. And our first practice ever was on March 4th, 2003. I remember it because it was my brother's 18th birthday. It's also Casimir Pulaski Day, so if you're Polish <laughs> in Chicago, you know, you know what's up. But uh, we were we were out in the burbs, and I think our second practice, I skipped to go to a Big D and the Kids Table show at the Fireside, and I almost got fired from the band right away for, for skipping. So like around, I'd have to look at the date, but my my memory serves. The the second practice we ever had when we first really started like writing songs and kind of talking about what the sound was going to be. 
uh, we had the TV on mute, but we were bombing Baghdad. And that night, that Operation Iraqi Freedom, I think is what they were calling mm-hmm. it, the night that that began was kind of the night that the Academy is began. Hmm. And I think that we initially had like a political edge and we had, you know, we had this whole thing. I was going to scream in the band. <laughs> Ooh. And like I was kind of all right at it too. I would take that like tuxedo vocal spray or whatever and like really go for it. <laughs> yeah. And like I could do it. And yeah. like I was like, we, we, we were kind of wanting to be that. Yeah. And I think pretty quickly we abandoned that idea. But, What's interesting to me is like, th- I remember that so vividly and like the war starting and like friends from high school like going off to like fight. I don't really know anyone that died, but I know like people went over to Afghanistan and Iraq mm-hmm. and and I went on tour. And it's a weird thing for me because between like 2004 and 2010, like I don't it, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I really don't yeah. like I. Phones weren't really such a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I wasn't waking up and reading the news. I was in a parking lot talking to other bands and hanging out. And in many ways, it was, like, the best time of my life. But as far as, like, politics go or anything like that, like... I mean, I remember when Obama was elected, and, like, I didn't vote. I was on tour, and I didn't even know how to do an absentee ballot. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, like, I looking back on that, like, sure, it would have been great to vote. I, I, I knew who I was for. But everything that happened in those years, like, I totally was just on a bus like yellow submarine kind of vibe like mm. i was gone man you know like <laughs> i really don't like friends got married i didn't i wasn't there yeah you know like a lot happened and i was just gone and i'm kind of grateful for that i feel like those years like i didn't really know anything <laughs> like, <laughs> you got to just sort of shut down, shut off it's been like a reconnecting in the years since the band ended of like mm. just kind of like joining with the real world a little bit yeah you know that's interesting. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't even think... Because I was just so jealous that everybody had a, a, a sidekick, and I couldn't get one because I, I wasn't on one. T-Mobile. <laughs> it was the band phone. Like, everybody who was in a band was using a T-Mobile sidekick because yeah. everybody had to be on MySpace all the time. Yeah. It was yeah, the only I mean, phone that had a T-Mobile MySpace T-Mobile sidekick app. was amazing. Like, Pete Wentz was the first guy I ever knew that had one, and, like, I immediately had to get one. Yeah. It was the first phone I ever had. And uh, I even had the D-Wade like the Dwayne oh Wade edition. Oh my god! <laughs> Jesus. But like, uh, the sidekick like was just like basically like I could take AOL Messenger with me. And yeah. Like for like an emo dude in that era, like the sidekick was just for talking to chicks. You know, like I didn't kind look of. at the news or anything. I didn't even really surf the web or anything. Yeah. It was like talking to other bands for one, like mm-hmm. which was a huge thing. But like in like meeting bands that like we hadn't ever met before, like I remember talking to like. Uh, the guys from like Steve from Punchline on AOL mm. and being like, your band's good. Let's do a show. And then we did it, you know, like, or like, uh, there was, we, the people records. And like, I remember like meeting a lot of people on the internet and that was like the new medium and mm. purevolume.com and like things like that. Like, um, but yeah, the sidekick was really like a portal for like talking to babes and, <laughs> and like, it's, it's funny now looking back with like the me too stuff. Cause like our band like was really like, at least then, at least from my own perspective, I can't speak for everybody in the band. Mm. But uh, <laughs> Adam Siska's the only one being interviewed right now. Yeah, Adam Siska's, this okay. is his only perspective. But, like, the emo thing kind of, like, had this, like, be a really nice guy mentality. Mm-hmm. And, like, I remember, like, the competition was, like, who can be the nicest to girls? <laughs> you know, like, huh. it really was. Like, huh. and I, don't, I know that didn't go for everybody, but well, for me yeah. it was, like, 
Like I, I was definitely the crying shoulder for like everyone in like the six three zero eight four seven area. <laughs> <laughs> like, like oh yeah, yeah. Like don't worry. Like he's a jerk. <laughs> Do you like me? No. Okay. I have a record. Do you like me now? <laughs> Still no? Crap, you know? Actually, uh, At least you weren't like, oh, no, I'm friend-zoned. Yeah. Yeah, true. That's, that's was, the good thing. I that was very friend-zoned. I was in, definitely in the friend-zoned. <laughs> so tragic. Uh, I'm going to read a couple comments. Uh, yeah. I thought you said Nick Jonas at first, and I got so confused. We can talk about Nick Jonas. I mean, I Nick love Jonas. Nick Jonas. Listen. Uh, really nice guy. I've met him a couple of times. Nicole12355 asks, I got a question. Which tour was your favorite that you've done? I went to lots of the tours in high school, LOL. And she also said that she went to high school seven years ago, too. So, What's up? Are you 24, 23, or 25? Okay. <laughs> wow. Way to know all the <laughs> like possible high school ages. I mean, I have friends all in that area, plus you. Fair. <laughs> My outlier. My favorite tour I ever did? I look at 2004 as like one long tour and that was kind of like pre almost here coming out Mm -hmm. but that was the most fun I ever had touring because we were in a van which you know doesn't necessarily like sound as fun because it was a lot of more work Mm -hmm. but I think that's what made it stand out to me in my memory and like we did this moment where we we went on tour and like didn't come home like for like over a year we were always on tour mm. and looking back on the, the the laminates from that era like we did we opened up for lucky boys confusion which was like kind of a mediocre tour but we went right into motion city soundtrack mm. which is when things started to like or no we went right into armor for sleep so it was we opened Snaked Across the Crown, very underrated band. I love them. Uh, this band called Number One Fan from Wisconsin, and then Armor for Sleep. And tour was awesome. And then we went right into Motion City Soundtrack, Limbeck, and Tsunami Bomb. That was awesome. And from that tour on is when we started to like gain traction. We didn't have a record out, but like people were starting to like talk about it. And we went right from that into this like Christmas tour with Fall Out Boy, Midtown, and Gym Class Heroes. It was only like four days. And then we went right from that into Something Corporate. And after the Something Corporate tour, like it was on. Like people were coming out, the record came out on that tour. We went right from that into the Fueled by Ramen and Friends tour with Fall Out Boy. And that I would have to say definitively was like my favorite tour we did just because Fall Out Boy, that was their first tour on a bus. They had just, like, at the end of that tour, Cork Tree came out, so, like, things were getting big. Yeah. And it was, like, we were doing what we always did with friends from the suburbs of Chicago, but it started to feel like it was becoming, like, dreams were coming true. You yeah. Know? So that whole run, I know I just said a lot of things, but, like, that no, I mean, run, <laughs> it was a crazy moment where, like... My favorite tour was the year 2004. Yeah. <laughs> in Into 2005, too, because we kept yeah. doing it. We did... That summer, we did Warped a little bit. We did All-American Rejects that fall. It was awesome. And then we did our first headlining tour, mm. which was amazing. Nice. So, yeah. Well, there you go. And Nicole is 24 years old. What's up? Me too. 
I don't uh, know anyone who's 24 years old. No, you know me now. No one person. <laughs> you know me now. Um, yeah, if anybody else has any questions, I will. Uh, I'll ask them for now. Sweet. Uh, that was the only one that I saw. Yeah. So ask some questions, guys. Um, Nicole also says uh, the Academy is an Armor for Sleep were my favorite bands. I missed one show in high school. Was with TAI and Armor for Sleep. I missed it for a chorus concert. I got an A though. That's great. I mean, that's good. good that's job. more important. That, that was 2007. Sleeping with Giants tour. That was a really good tour. That was the longest tour we ever did. It was like 65 dates, which like is a lot of tour dates. And (laughs) and we had like, we had, there's two legs of it with a week off in between for Bill's daughter to be born. Wow. And then we went right back out. Wow. We toured a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So it was crazy. A lot of hustle. Yeah. Um, You are, I guess kind of like we have some people that listen to this I assume for more like music business end of things yeah. and like understanding like how to get a career so obviously I think that when you know a lot of the bands especially in, in Chicago with Fall Out Boy and um, Fueled by Ramen and picking up a lot of that and then Pete starting to cadence and picking up bands uh, that he liked or he knew um, to be on that obviously that, that, that helps to get uh, a record deal and to get on the road and to get what you need to do it yeah um, I don't think the the environment is still the no. same at, at all <laughs> in very, a way very different yeah so I mean what do you think now if like somebody's like a, a band starting out and they don't have connections like do you think there's any possibility for them to go anywhere <laughs> And it's like reality of it is like, do you think there's a possibility? I juggle it? with that. You know, like I, I have a friend here who was like trying to start a band with me and, mm-hmm. and uh, he was a talented writer and stuff like that. And I just, it's difficult. You know, I, I can't say that I would like recommend <laughs> getting into it, but like <laughs> at the same time, like people have to keep doing this in order mm-hmm. for it to mean anything. And like, um, it, you know, I'm firsthand somebody who can say like, dreams came true you know and like at that time period in 2004 like nobody knew what to do I mean Napster had just come out like they were basically saying that the music business was like over Mm -hmm. and like you know I don't think that one thing that is really unique to our particular little scene and when I'm speaking of that I'm not necessarily speaking of like Decadence and everything like that more so like Knights of Columbus Mm -hmm. and with that, I would lump in the Academy is in Fall Out Boy and then maybe some other bands that you didn't hear about. Or if you did, then you were there and you, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about and it was amazing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when, when Academy is was starting, there was this band called Fairweather on Equal Vision and I remember specifically being like, we're going to be as big as them and being like, no, way. that's never going to happen, you know? And like, we're like, I think we could, like we could mean anything as close to, and like most of you probably haven't heard of Fairweather or don't listen to them, you know? Like, so it was, the mindset was really small. And I, I don't know if that was the case for, for like Pete specifically in Fall Out Boy. Like, I think he was a very savvy businessman from mm-hmm. the get go. And I think he getting into pop punk was a business decision compared to hardcore. Mm-hmm. And I think I was really lucky to be like a bystander for his brilliant agenda. And like, you know, I, as much as when I was in Academy is, I hated to be like pigeonholed and, and like feel like I was riding the coattails of somebody else's success. But looking back on it now, like, yeah, 100 percent. 
and <laughs> and uh, you know I think almost here was a good enough record that I do think we would have had some people listening regardless but I think we were really lucky to ride in on that wave and the advice that I would give and I give this to like my buddy who wanted to start a band in Logan Square I see bands around here that are playing and they're playing at like bars and for people that are spending money at the, at the bar and not at the merch table and they're not really even focused on giving a product to the people and for us you know like I said it was really easy because there was already this scene that we like showed Academy has showed up really late to the Knights of Columbus scene and we got in just in time mm-hmm. because we were part of ending it in a way like mm-hmm. we took it with Fall Out Boy and I think that was really it took it to like a national level or like at least a regional level we started going to play in Michigan and Minnesota and stuff like that we were always looking for and I I can speak this because I saw Pete doing it firsthand and those guys were really savvy they weren't playing in the city to their friends Mm -hmm. which they had plenty of I didn't know who they were they were getting me before I was in a band, I was a diehard Fall Out Boy fan. Mm-hmm. I was like, on, I would, I was their webmaster. I would go on and update <laughs> the site for them. And oh like, my god! Because they didn't have that capability from their phones and stuff back then. And they knew that if they could get kids energized, that that counted for something. Because people over twenty five or even over twenty, they don't, they're not looking for something to believe in. They're looking on how to like pay the bills. Mm-hmm. So kids are really the place to go. And when I talk to friends and bands in Logan Square and I go see their bands play and they're playing to like people that like have jobs and are paying or drinking at the bar or like paying the Coke dealer or whatever, like those are not who you want to get to listen to your band. I always say like burn like a thousand CDs, Mm. find like your cousin who goes to like Lane Tech and tell them to show it to everybody at school hmm. and then invite those kids to like a show at like a VFW hall like yeah. the youth is always going to be where it's at because they're passionate and they're looking for something to believe in you know as at 31 I don't believe in anything <laughs> like I question everything I see bands and I say are they really good I don't really know it's a different thing as a kid I would have died for the bands I believed in and I really do I think that's the really the avenue to go down for academy when we came out we made two songs we gave always give your music out for free and i know that's different now with digital because everything's free but like and maybe don't give a hard copy but like put your lyrics out there give people stickers build Mm -hmm. your street team build a culture with academy before we even had more than two songs we started building a brand and other bands hated us because <laughs> we came in more confident th- than they did and we stole their audience. They did all the groundwork and we came in and like just milked it all with having a brand. I think that's so interesting because there's a lot of bands, they just start it and they're like, I'm just here for funsies and then they eventually fall into it. Yeah. From what I've noticed, especially around here, I also find it interesting how there's a lot of bands, at least in the city, who pretty much almost refuse to play suburban shows or they just really do not want to like they'll do it but they'll complain about it and i think that's kind of ridiculous place i would play if i were a band that was in my first year or two of playing the city means nothing well the city can mean something if you're trying to be the kings of logan square Mm -hmm. and play to people's coke dealers but that's not (laughs) i mean some people really want that mo that doesn't mean anything 
you know like and you can look down on like mall music or whatever you call it but i've got a few friends that bought some really big houses and touched a lot of people's lives while they were doing it you know Mm. so it's you know you gotta you gotta go somewhere where it means something and and i really think that that is where that scene succeeded in you know, for me, I was like on the other end of it. I was a believer. I mean, I would go to those shows every weekend and I would make my own flyers for those shows on like f- on like the paint thing <laughs> on like my yeah. crappy old computer. <laughs> yeah. And I would tell everyone to come to the Fall Out Boy show. When those Knights of Columbus shows were happening, I think at least 40% of the crowd were kids from Barrington that I told to go. And like what's amazing is like John Janik from Feel by Ramen flew in to see Fall Out Boy and he went to Knights of Columbus, and there was only 300 people there, but they were going absolutely insane and singing every word. That matters more than playing at a big venue in the city that's empty. You yeah. Know, like, you, you, I don't understand why bands get obsessed with, like, I want to be at House of Blues. I want to be at all these giant venues, like the Metro. Like, yeah, sure, you can rent out the Metro, yeah. and it's, like, what, a... 1500 cap venue we or something? We used to play the Metro, yeah. and it would be free. Yeah. It would be a thing where we would print out tickets... And they would tally who brought in the most people, and they would get paid accordingly. Mm-hmm. And it was like a showcase. And that was it. And yeah. then other than that, I mean, the only paying shows we ever did were at Teen Centers and Knights of Columbus, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it was amazing. I mean, the fact that that even existed is beyond me. And I don't, I don't know if that still exists, but it, it should. Because like I said before, like it was really like my boys and girls club. Like. Mm-hmm. I was heading down a really weird path as a kid and like my father passed away and it was getting weird and as soon as I went to Knights of Columbus it clicked and I like I knew exactly what I needed to do and it wasn't necessarily that I was even going to be in a band because I didn't even know how to play bass you know but like I knew that I just wanted to get as close to that as possible Mm -hmm. and with with that I would say a record label isn't looking for good songs they're looking for a good culture because somebody like john janik you know that guy from feel by ramen who Mm -hmm. flew in and like slept on somebody's couch and signed academy is signed fallout boy signed august premiere was the first band he signed Mm -hmm. uh he's the president of interscope now and like he's he's the guy yeah and and i can tell you firsthand like i mean it may have changed a little for him he's looking for hits but like beyond hits he's looking for somebody that can like move the cultural compass a little bit you know and Fall Out Boy really was that I think Fall Out Boy and bands like that and Taking Back Sunday before them and really saved the music business Mm -hmm. I think the music business did not know what to do and Emo came out with this new way of connecting with people and that's what hip hop is now. I mean, yeah. emo yeah. kind of got a lot of its idea from hip hop too. Like, or not even hip hop, but like even like Sun Records and like the old country stuff. Like mm. driving around in like an old Buick and like selling records out of your car. <laughs> like that was it. And yeah. Like, like talk to your audience, play your show, and stop partying. <laughs> for, one, for one, stop drinking and for partying. Once. Go talk to people. Yeah. Stop talking to girls after your show stop <laughs> trying to impress people talk to people try to make a difference in your community because those are the people that are going to ultimately believe in your band yeah. i think it's also that like right now at least in the burbs i think there's only one place that actually actually puts on pop punk shows anymore i think and it's yeah, in downtown a downers lot of Grove. that is kind of downers stopped Grove. 
We used to go. To, there were there were shows at the church basement in Downers Grove. Mm-hmm. I remember Downers Grove Rise Against Divide by Zero, <laughs> and the opener was Fall Out Boy. I really was oh, truly yeah. born too late. Yeah, you were. I really missed like the main part where I would you know have thrived. Being born at the right time and then not going to any of it, <laughs> and then going, oh yeah, I really like that. I I. In high school, I was friends, and I think you know, like Jack Marin from yeah, Octoberfall. Yeah, I haven't so seen him. So I was friends with Jack uh, a little bit in high school. I was friends of friends and all that. And then Octoberfall started to get big because they had known Fall Out Boy too. And I think they, I don't know the whole scene because I wasn't really super involved with it. And then all of a sudden, like they blew up and I was like, well, I like metal and I fucking hate all this shit. And I'm going to be so edgy and angry <laughs> all the time. And now I look back and I go, fuck, I really missed out like being like an edgelord and trying to be like, I fucking hate all of it. I'm going to go. And like, I got nowhere. Yikes. <laughs> I only went to like, what was it? I saw like Evanescence in high school. I mean, like, I love was, Evanescence. Like, shit, like, at so... The time. so I'm like, eh, like, that's just my, it was my, it wasn't my scene at the time. And now I look back and I go, these records are good. I enjoy them. Like I'm singing along to my car now. And I'm like, man, I really <laughs> fucked up not going to this. The only bands that I saw at Knights of Columbus were, uh. Uh, Barrier Dead and Walls of Jericho was oh one God. show and I was like I am not Walls of Jericho, ready to be at this fucking hardcore show uh, I hope did you get beaten up no I stood off to the side far enough okay. where nobody you, you knew you knew uh, there was a few hardcore things I was into but it was a brief moment for me like I was yeah. never angry enough to <laughs> like what made you so angry Brian <laughs> um just you know hating people that were popular and uh mainstream and so edgy just wanted to wear guy liner and then like i finally figured <laughs> out like because all like my junior year of high school like all the girls were like you look like pete wentz and i was like you're no i don't like i don't look <laughs> anything like pete wentz but it was just as like i was one of the only like emo kids at the time and then everybody started to get into the used and uh and on all the other bands that were like more heavy i think at the time oh, heavier like, yeah yeah like the, the screaming bands were more like around like everybody was yeah. into those bands it was um, weird. Like all my friends in high school got really into like that scene, mm-hmm. and then as soon as I was in a band that like got any sort of clout in the scene, I never saw any of those people again. Hmm. They like I think there was some animosity or something. I don't know. Every I think everyone wanted to get into it, and I was not. Yeah. I was not particularly like talented, <laughs> and I think that maybe upset people. Because uh, it probably, was like, yeah. It was. Like, I was also friends with a lot of musicians, and yeah. like I had a band that was like. Looking back at it, you're like, our songs weren't good. <laughs> we had no dedication to it. Everybody wanted to do other things. Like it wasn't your first priority. And then even when I try to make it my priority, it's like trying to drag four other people along with you is like always going to be yeah. the thing. Um, so in high school, it was like when all this stuff was happening, it's like, this could be me if I just put in that time a little bit more and the right way. And then it was like, yeah, but now the, the, the ship has sailed. Like the wave is gone and, and you weren't it, on it. It's amazing how it happens. I mean, like, I mean, I'd kill to like get involved in some great scene and get to do it all over mm-hmm. again. Like if I knew then what I knew now, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I always say like, I, I wish that I could put out almost here now. You yeah, know, like I would know how what to do with it. You know, at the time it was just like I had no idea what yeah. to do. I mean, I, I had a lot of problems. <laughs> you know, I was a weird, I was a weird kid. You know, like, <laughs> I like I don't know. It's a 
you don't get to do things twice. You know? <laughs> That's the yeah. fortunate. Sometimes thing. you do, but yeah. Um, ask a couple of questions here. Black Rose Season asks favorite uh, the Academy is song. Mm. This will be a long pause as we as get yeah, I time. Know. I mean, <laughs> I think it. I kind of like season from almost here. Mm. I like that one. That was the first song we wrote for the record. And I think we knew right away that we were on to something differently. Because I don't know if you've heard anything from like the EP we did before Almost Here. But no. like, yeah, it was pretty weird. And like, <laughs> people in like the local scene liked it. But mm-hmm. like, I don't know, man. <laughs> it was like we were trying to be like Coheed or something like that. Oh, my you God. Know? It was a lot more like conceptual and like mm. a little all over the place. And like season... We ripped off Queens of the Stone Age a little bit. It had this kind of like on the toms yeah. sort of groove and like just something about like that palm muted riff. I felt like we were our writing progressed and like I, I don't know how it did, but like it, it just did. Uh, and I have to say that song's probably my favorite. There's only one song on that record that I don't like and it's Skeptics and True Believers. Fair. And we didn't like it. It's too too pop punk and if the, the the rest of that record you know a lot of people look at that as a pop punk record but like I think it's only really in the way it was recorded it was really gritted and like really mm-hmm. really like airtight and if I could do it over again it wouldn't be so like just concise I, it could have loosened up a little bit and yeah. I think that's why I don't like Skeptics and True Believers if you listen to the chorus it's like really like just like I don't know. I hate it. <laughs> so everybody just stop listening to it. Yeah, people liked it. You know, yeah. there's one guy on a plane one time. He's like, "I love your band, Skeptics and True Believers." I was like, "Ooh." Like, uh, yeah. You're like, Ooh. And then, you know, I like the Santi record. Like, uh, mm-hmm. people liked that record too. Like, the narrative behind it is that it was kind of like the Pinkerton or whatever like that. Only I think people love Pinkerton a lot more than they love Santi because it's way better. But like, <laughs> but there was definitely this weird like shift after that record came out and like in the end I'm proud of it because at that point in time like the scene had gotten so big and everyone wanted another Fall Out Boy and like and we I mean looking back on it and like my bank account and everything like I wouldn't have mind being in like a a Fall Out Boy you know yeah (laughs) but like we would have sold a lot more purple hoodies at Hot Topic or something but like I wish I bought a purple hoodie but there was something that I am proud of that we like made a weird left turn and I don't think we knew we were even doing it but like we we kind of threw out the blueprint we made a weird like l- we tracked the music live on that record and it sounds like really raw and I don't know we did something different and I'm glad we did and I don't think it's a great record I think almost here in terms of the emo scene I think that's a great record mm-hmm. I don't think all- Santi is but I do think it's a cool record that we made you know and my favorite song on that is the last song it's called Unexpected Places and I think we played it live like twice I don't think anyone really liked it that much mm-hmm. but I liked it a lot I thought it was good nice I thought it was lyrically uh, the best song on that record uh, Black Rose Season says Santi is God tier <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't think it was that good <laughs> stop listening um, let me see if there's some other questions here. Are we ever going to hear TII four? I think that's a no, probably at this point. Like, you don't. I, I'm assuming you don't know if you're going to do anything else. Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, there is a record that. Oh, never well, then came, never mind. It oh. never came out, and 
I don't, I don't know if I would call it a whole record, but there's songs there, and like, hmm. in a weird way, like I think <laughs> when we were doing that record in 2010, it was like ahead of its time, and I remember like management being like, "There's not really a lot of guitar here. You guys are a guitar band," and we were like, "Yeah, well." It was funny, when we were writing the last record, our manager called us and he was like, it was the day after the Super Bowl when the Saints started the second half with an onside kick and like just dominated uh, Peyton Manning and the Colts. And uh, All those words didn't make any sense right, to me. It was a big sports moment. <laughs> so a big sports ball moment sports? went down. Yeah, Someone so, did good sports. So some people will know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> our manager called us and he's like, that's what you guys need. You need an unexpected onside kick. Like, you got you to like do something really different this time. So we did. And we added a keyboard player and like went for this kind of different sound. Mm-hmm. And the label didn't like it. And the management didn't like it. And... Then we broke up. <laughs> oh, and well. then that sound kind of became like the thing, the thing that everyone's doing yeah. now. <laughs> and I don't think that what we did was as like ESPN as so much of the stuff that like everyone does now. Yeah, like Imagine Dragons and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, Yikes! We can drag them on this podcast if you want. Yeah, to. I think they're good. You know, oh, I, I hate them, but I think they're good. Well, and I, I, thanks I, for coming, everybody. Yeah, I think <laughs> we all I have to leave. Good, you know, like I mean, if I were a record label guy, I'd probably sign them. And I think that guy is really nice and smart and kind and all the all yeah. the above. So it's just like you know, I just look at it from that perspective. But like uh, that kind of thing, we were like a little bit ahead of. I think like we missed it a little bit. And if we put out that music now, I don't think it would be big for yeah. us. But I think it'd be worth people hearing they might hate it but <laughs> i think with the emo revival people would be like super hyped for it either way i think people would be like oh this doesn't sound like them but they came out with something yeah. i feel like they would just be happy I mean, with literally that. I the chat was just like please drop it <laughs> like immediately <laughs> i, I was think like, the right. fourth best, best record or the fourth record that we were doing would have been the second best record that we did Hmm. I think that we found the energy of like when we were, it felt like we were making our first record in a way, you know, like, hmm. which was a nice place to be in. And it sucks that it went the way that it did. Like the label didn't really like it. So they sent Bill in to do a lot of like co-writing with people hmm. and that kind of some of the co-writing that he did, I think became his solo record and I didn't really like it at all. And that's kind of why the band ended. It was like, well, forget this, you know, yeah. like, we were doing something we were passionate about and then we were doing this like bill had this song called like girl you should have been a drummer or something like that and i hated it and he <laughs> put it out and if if he's listening to this sorry man i didn't like that <laughs> i don't i don't think you did either so it's all good but uh yeah you know like people do weird things in music man you know yeah so i think uh I think a lot more bands should experiment. And honestly, like, I think that music, I think the musicians kind of know where the scene is going. And I sometimes wonder if, like, management and labels do. Like, I think that they want to keep, like, they want to keep it all in the same spot forever. They want to keep it just existing timelessly and it doesn't really change. But then 
when music does change. Like now everything is emo hip hop. And so everybody's kind of scrambling to get somebody who does emo hip hop on their label so they can make money off of yeah, it. I haven't heard like, any of that stuff. I know that's kind of a thing. It's, but yeah. I honestly kind of like it. Yeah, I bet you. I mean, I, I bet you it's good. You have to like find like the right emo mm. hip hop. But uh, like when you find the right one, yeah. you're like, Okay, I do like nothing these. nowhere because like that. No, was, I like that nothing was like nowhere a, too. Yeah, I, mean, I lived in Vermont for five years. Yeah. I, I know he's from up there, and like that alone makes me interested. And in, like he has a lyric uh, rep in VT, like my name, Bernie Sanders, and I'm like, <laughs> I love that. I'm into that. Let's I'm put the record on. on. <laughs> how do you put the feel? Record on. Well, how do you feel about how this whole DIY culture is now? Like everyone's like, I want to be DIY, and then you see the record labels trying to also brand as DIY when it's not. Yeah. What it is? How do you do? You have any feelings or know how about that? Because it kind of is like they're trying to keep with the times, but it's also like I mean, I think backwards. that kind of in a nutshell is like what I was saying before, where like the label had no, when when a band like Fall Out Boy showed up, the big head honchos in those offices in New York or wherever they were were that was the luckiest day of their lives because they were scrambling, wondering what to fucking do, and then this band shows up that says, "Wait." They have fans and they make a ton of money. <laughs> what are we supposed to do? You know, like yeah. that's where the label's supposed to come in into play. Yeah. And like the emo thing came in with this built-in audience, and like the label didn't have to do anything. You know, like the label would give like tour support to young bands. Mm. Academy has never touched any of that. They would be like, "So we need, you need all this money." We're like, "No, oh, no, no, no!" Like you'll see, we sell a bunch of shirts. <laughs> and that was it you yeah. know and like that's when they were like okay we better find a way to make money on the shirts and they started doing the 360 wow. deals and stuff like that you yeah. know because like that was kind of it and like yeah I mean the thing that's weird is like if I could do it all over again I would have never gone to a major label you know like that was you know it sounded like a great idea at the time but like the wave we were riding in on was big enough that the kids didn't really care <laughs> You know, I think that Fuel by Ramen would have been huge regardless of a, of a major label conglomerate behind mm-hmm. it. And Atlantic treated us well when when things were going well, yeah. you know, and they stopped treating us well when things stopped. And, like, looking back on it, it makes perfect sense. Like, we stopped making them a bunch of money. Right, and they're like, okay, and bye. Like, I had this really eye-opening experience where, like, in 2009 we did a tour where we put this band called Carolina Liar as the opener. And... We had never heard of them. They were not popular in the emo scene. They sold like $10 of merch every night on our tour. And they had a radio hit that was like platinum. And we played at Roseland in New York City, which was our biggest headlining show we ever did there. It was like 3500 or something like that. It's a big artist now selling out that room. That's an accomplishment. You know, like that venue's gone now. But like uh, 3,500 people came out. And the label came out, and they took Carolina Liar, the opener, out to steak dinners because they had a song at radio. Mm. And we didn't. We never had that. We had yeah. a culture. We had a ton of fans. We were selling. That band couldn't have sold out, like, a free show at, like, wow. Empty Bottle, you know? Like, yeah. And the, I started to see that if we weren't going to have a radio hit, we had no business being on that label, and that we kind of shot ourselves right in the ass with, like signing that deal because we were angry saying the label doesn't care about us but we weren't delivering the thing that we signed up to deliver so yeah. you know the DIY thing I mean I would say if you're in a band don't sign a record contract I think it's way less necessary now too yeah, like I feel like it. it was the dream of 
2005 was to get a record deal and like get all that opportunity and i mean when i 2005 i didn't know what the fuck a record deal would do for you then you learn and you're like oh fuck i never should have wanted that right for us i mean like they flew us out to la we went out to a nice dinner Pamela Anderson was there at the table next to us. I kid you not. And was that a was that a move? Of was course, that like a, you know, like damn. We saw Pamela Anderson. We went to some party. Claudio from Coheed and Cambria was there. Yeah, and we were like, yeah, we'll sign. You know, I mean, like, like we wine to dine and everything. Yeah. I'm I mean, here. That, that's what we. The, what, the crazy thing was that we were done with almost here. The labels all liked it. I don't even think they listened to it, but they knew that there was like the new wave. You mm-hmm. know, and like, and they wanted in and there was like a bidding war between Sire and Atlantic you know like Sire was like a Warner Brothers conglomerate kind of deal Lava Records it was all every major label wanted us and we went with Atlantic and we never made royalties because they put so much money into promoting the record Mm. and none of that promotion stuff really mattered for anything and we made almost here for nine grand we sold like it's just shy of being a gold record Mm -hmm. And we would have made a lot of money on that, and we didn't. So it's yeah. like, the label don't don't sign a record contract. <laughs> you know, do that once you have nothing to lose. Yeah. Once you're in a position to tell them what you want and to control the, like the outcome, like don't sign to a label. Build a culture. You know, put it all online. Tour. Talk to people. You know, put it all out for free. You know, look at yeah. Chance the Rapper. You know, I mean, you can crazy. literally so, put out all your music for free. Yeah. grow better than you'd ever do on like trying to get signed to a record label yeah I mean they're not going to do anything with it the thing is if you make a thousand records you can sell all of them even if it takes you ten years mm. if the label prints a hundred thousand records and you only sell a thousand of them they're going to stop doing anything to try to sell the rest of them they're going to go sit in a warehouse somewhere they're yep. going to you know they're you're going to go they've already lost a ton of money on you they're going to stop taking any interest at all whereas it might not happen right away but if it's yours you can keep you know talking to people yeah you're going to eventually sell those and then you can print another thousand you know it's it's a much better business platform so but cool cool man andrew did jimmy page actually come to an academy show he did he did at uh, the house of blues in la and uh, Lior Cohen from the big the big shot guy that we signed the record deal with, <laughs> he uh, he brought Jimmy Page with with him to the House of Blues in L.A. And uh, I was in the dressing room. Lior comes in and he's a big shot. He's he was in the press this year because he was wearing a Make America Great Again hat with Kanye. Yikes. <laughs> Great guy, though. <laughs> <laughs> you can be a nice guy and have some He's like disagreements. a rich Jewish guy, you know? Like, yeah. I, I get it. I think he liked the embassy move. Mm. But uh, <laughs> he came in the dressing room, and I was already nervous anytime he was around. And he goes, hey, I want you to come meet my friend Jimmy. And I'm like, of course. Like, I'll be on my best behavior with anyone you want me to meet. Yeah. So I come over, and I'm like, holy shit. That's, that's Paige. You know? <laughs> so I talked to him a little bit. He said some very kind of stuff that would get him canceled. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> he was kind of a raunchy Damn. dude. <laughs> yeah. But he was really nice. He was sitting on a couch with like seven like beautiful women surrounding him that he wasn't talking to. <laughs> and like you could tell we're just like escort type, you know. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, oh. It was crazy. But uh, sorry if you're Jimmy's wife and you're listening to this. 
I can uh, <laughs> I can almost confidently say that she won't hear this. She's probably listening right now. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck? I was just browsing Twitter and I hear my name. But uh, browsing Twitter. She was up on the balcony <laughs> watching the show, and I was really embarrassed because like the baselines on almost here are like pretty tame. Mm-hmm. And I felt pretty lame that he was watching it. And I was like, I would have practiced a lot more if I had known. To be honest with you, though, I don't really like Paige just playing that much. Mm. I don't really like Led Zeppelin, and people get pissed at me. Oh, I hate Led Zeppelin. The one song that I like is uh, Dire Maker Mm, from House of the Holly. Holy. uh, I said Holly when I was a kid because I didn't know how it worked. Yeah. Uh, The... uh, yeah, I was not really a big fan. I was still really starstruck. The thing that I was bummed about was that a few months later, Brendan Urie did an interview with Rolling Stone, and he was like, yeah, Jimmy Page came to see us, and <laughs> that's not how it went down, man. <laughs> oh, my God. No. He came to see us. Wow. We were first. We were the OGs, No, we were not the headliners, you. But he's bro. like, well, I got to say something. Do you want to say anything uh, nice about Brendan Urie? Yeah, great guy. Really great guy. Um, one of the best, actually. Um, Panic <laughs> had a huge part in the downfall of the Academy is. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, here we go. Um, not anything they did in particular, but, you know, I've never talked about this publicly at all, so you're getting uh, your spicy Insider taste. scoop. Whoever these four people, yeah. if they're still four. All you idiots that were here before uh, and left, you didn't hear any of this. Um, <laughs> for like a year before uh, before Panic! at the Disco came out with the first record, like there was Fall Out Boy and there was The Academy Is, and the record label really loved us. We were their number two band. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that band showed up, I, uh, we were playing in Vegas at this place called Jillian's. And uh, this guy, Scott Nagelberg, who still manages Panic to this day, he came and he goes, there's this band I might manage and they want to meet you guys. Can they come in? And we said, of course. So they came in the dressing room and they were like really nervous. And Brendan had these like thick frame glasses on. He looked kind of like Hillary Swank and Boys Don't Cry. <laughs> and uh, Spencer was like baby fat. They were all just like really shy, mm-hmm. nervous, so happy to be meeting us. They liked the band. And uh, we kind of took them under our wing. Fall Out Boy took them under their wing. And that record came out. We were in the UK. And uh, it came out big. Like I think when Almost Here came out, it sold like 4,500 copies the first week, which is nothing by industry standards. But for a first-time record we were putting out, you know, it, it was good. It was a good debut. Mm-hmm. Uh, Panic came out and sold 9,000 their first week. The scene had gotten bigger. And part of that was the groundwork that we had laid, you yeah. know, like Decadence was beginning with that. And also we weren't on Decadence. We were just on Feel by Ramen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Panic came out. They were the biggest fucking band in the world by the end of the year. <laughs> and we had them opening for us for a tour. And and luckily the tour sold out really quick. And I didn't feel like they were blowing us out of the water by any means. In the UK, I felt it a little harder because they were really, really big there. But in America, I thought our, the tour was great. And they were supposed to be the opener. It was going to be them, Hello Goodbye, Acceptance, mm. and us. And by the tour came, by the time the tour came, they were direct support and yeah. probably should have been headlining. Not probably, definitely should have been headlining. Wow. But because the tickets had been sold out for a while, 
No one left. It was not like an awkward thing. Mm-hmm. But it harmed us on a creative level because everyone from management and, and label pivoted. And now, before Panic came out, it wasn't you need to be like this kind of Fall Out Boy thing. Mm-hmm. We were very, very different than Fall Out Boy. Right. Some people don't maybe might not agree with that, but we were. I was there. I remember. <laughs> and our whole thing was very, very different. Panic's thing was unique, but sonically, Brendan sounded a lot like Patrick. Yeah. And for the first time, there was this thing that we were on the outside looking in instead of like we were this new poster child for the scene. Yeah. All of a sudden, the scene was this eyeliner, theatrical, and the scene was all the better and all the bigger for it, mm-hmm. but we didn't get it. And that's why we made the Santi record the way that it was. And, like, and you know, that was kind of the end of our, like, trajectory. And, like, that, you know, was a painful thing to go through as a band. That being said, like, Brendan Yuri is one of the kindest people I know. And every time I've hung out with him over the years, regardless of how big things were going or how bad things were going, because they had their moments where things weren't going so great. Mm-hmm. People left the band, people had drug problems, people had, you know, all the above that can go wrong in a band happened to them. And that guy has been 100% the same person since the day I met him, which is really kind, family-oriented, keeps to himself, plays video games, (laughs) hangs out, nice to everybody, nice to his crew. That's all I really look for. And the success that they're having now, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, and like, um, you know, I tried to get the, the gig playing bass for them and they wanted a girl. Mm. And uh, damn, you know, that would have been fun. Yeah. But uh, I'm proud of them. I'm proud of Brendan. And, you know, my crew with Carly Rae Jepsen all works for them. So a lot of my, our whole academy crew works for them too. <laughs> wow. And those are like some of my like best friends growing up. And like, it's a weird thing, you know, like, the, my favorite part of being in the band was being able to employ my friends and mm-hmm. you know like and I'm glad they still have jobs and that it, it's with somebody who's really nice I mean mm-hmm. that guy is a class act and you think about like the me too stuff I've seen some weird stuff not that guy <laughs> that guy's just like hanging with his wife and dog and plays whatever that game is with the kids are into now oh that Fortnite he's Fortnite. playing Fortnite all the time on Twitch it used to be Red Dead Redemption yeah you know like back when it was the first round of that game but I mean that guy deserves every bit of success he has and like and you know it's always easier to quit when people are saying that you're past your prime Mm -hmm. it's embarrassing to be in a band when people are like oh well that's over and people have been saying that about Panic at the Disco until like a month ago (laughs) so you know I mean I've seen stuff even like on a personal level on like Facebook people being like there's still a thing it's like yeah, they're still a fucking. They're thing. probably they're bigger a, now than they were when they first. I mean, they have like started. radio hits still, like big, big radio at least hits three. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go tour. so far to say that Panic at the Disco is the biggest band in the world right now. I think that's very. I fair. think that's a pretty fair. Because other yeah. bands don't sell shirts the way that they do. They don't have a culture the way that they do. Yeah, they don't Imagine have their moms Dragons wearing. Doesn't have it even close. Yeah. I'm telling you, like, I've seen what it is to be a meaningful band, and people care about that stuff. You know. This last time I went, I went and hung out at Allstate when I went to deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did I meet you then too? 
No, I wasn't at all. No, so yeah, I was with my girlfriend. Okay, uh, gotcha. So, yeah. I gotcha. tragically was in class. Yeah. Um, Very tragic. <laughs> I thought the crowd looked tired. Mm. At the United Center last summer and at the last All-State one, mm. the crowd was like rabid and crazy. And I think they've officially become so big again that they're playing to people that are just moderate fans. Mm. And it's amazing to me that like a year and a half ago, they were able to sell out those places with diehards. Yeah. And now they're playing to like the radio crowd. Yeah. And like, it, where can it go from here? You know, it's, it's crazy. I mean, they're way bigger than Fall Out Boy. Mm. They're way bigger than anybody else. You know, like, I mean, that Fall Out Boy Wrigley show I thought was really great. Mm-hmm. But it was... They try to fall up away, you know, I, I hope I don't get myself in trouble for saying this. Cause <laughs> I respect them for never being nostalgic mm-hmm. and for making sure they play the new stuff and do all that. At their show, I felt like they maybe should have been a little more nostalgic. Mm-hmm. At the Panic show, I don't think they need to be. Yeah. And there's a difference there. Yeah. Brennan's younger, too. It's a different thing. It's always different when the front man plays guitar, too. And yeah. I think I'm four months older than Brendan. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, man. Look at you. I've done nothing with my time. Shut up. You know, all that stuff I was saying before about them surpassing us, like, looking back at it now, I mean, it was crazy when I went out and saw, like, the album that surpassed our career, Fever, Mm -hmm. was reduced to, like, a medley. And all the fans that were there were here to see something else. And in a way, like, not that I needed, like, healing from that, but in a way it was kind of, like, a nice bookend on the story of like our two bands because we were close i was particularly really good friends with ryan Mm. and uh but seeing them like venture on on their own like they're not under fall up boy shadow or anything like Mm. they brendan's talent is its own thing and it's something that he was always meant to do and he's a very very savvy guy so you know, I'll leave it at that just i have nothing but good things to say about him at that show when he was about to go riot on his piano I was out by the soundboard mm. and he kind of looked around and we made eye contact and he goes, Hey man. <laughs> and he kind of just had this moment and, and, uh, he goes, good to see you. And that kind of sums up him. Like, yeah. He's about to ride on a piano <laughs> in an arena, yeah. but he sees an old buddy and he's there. You yeah. know, it's like, uh, I like that guy. What That's were awesome. you gonna say? Talk some trash? <laughs> no, dude, I fucking I love Panic at the Disco. They're, yeah, they're definitely yeah, one they're, of my favorite amazing. bands of all time. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to like it. Like I said, I mean, like, <laughs> if they never met each other or never came out, like, yeah. I might be flying around on a private jet like, <laughs> or, or on not. A piano you know, everyone makes their own destiny. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, those guys kind of like they did what we did to a lot of bands from the Knights of Columbus. You know? so <laughs> yeah, it's like, fair. It is what it is. Everyone, yeah. You go through that. It was cool for me to get to even see like all that, you mm-hmm. know. So, as a fly on the wall, like there's been a lot of cool stuff to see, like uh, outside of even being in academy, like watching Fall Out Boy do what they did. I mean, that was pretty cool, you know. So, all right, well, awesome, man. Uh, that's about two and a half hours. Nice. Uh, do you Love want it. to um, give any sort of plugs of like where? I mean, obviously, if you're wandering around Chicago, people see it, but if you're Got anything coming up that you want to like promote for people to come and oh, check well, out? I'm, I'm playing bass for Carly Rae Jepsen still. She's putting out two new songs tomorrow. Uh, oh, nice. I don't Ooh. make any money if you'd buy them or whatever. So <laughs> uh, I think you'll like them. I think her new record's cool and mm-hmm. it's and you know I, 
a step in just a different direction and which is always cool she's a creative person and um we didn't really touch on too much of that stuff but she's been a really you know of all the people i've gotten to play for i actually think she's the hardest working and also the most like uh passionate and writes the most most productive um so check that out and uh if you don't really care for it maybe still even try coming out to a show sometime because i think if you ever enjoyed any of the bands i played in i think you'll enjoy what she does live i think we got a really good band and it's fun um, other than that, uh, you know, I just love this city in Chicago. You know, I don't, I don't know if most of your listeners are here in the city, but uh, sort of you know. back and forth depending yeah. on our where we're at. On we Twitch, have somebody in we Germany. Get, yeah, we get some people uh, on Twitch from too. all over. I'll, I'll be there in Germany uh, in a few months. Um, but uh, Chicago's, you know. I could have done this two and a half hours just about the city. Like, <laughs> uh, I moved away when I was 21, 22. Never wanted to come back. Moved to Vermont. Went from there to L.A. After eight months in L.A., I really wanted Chicago back. <laughs> and uh, now that I'm back, I mean, I this place is like really like the fuel that keeps me a, a happy person. Like, you know, it's been weird adjusting to like life not always on the road yeah because i'm somebody not everyone likes to tour i love it Mm. and chicago has been the one thing that like if i never get to go on tour again and i just am stranded here forever i'm okay with it you know so i love this city and uh i love everybody that's from here so well not everybody (laughs) 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 a good amount of people (laughs) but uh yeah thanks for listening everybody yeah awesome uh that was been adam siska of the Academy is. We have terrible outros. So we're just going to do from all of us here at the Emo Social Club podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Lizzie. And uh, goodbye. <laughs> just fucking weird. Can I give you a little time? Yeah, you, sure. can, you can do a. Uh... Yeah. Hi, it's me, Siski Business, and you're listening to the Emo Social Club podcast. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>